0: Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. So we decided to start out this series with Stanley's interview with sociologist Claude Fischler, because he defines one of my favorite words, commensality. Sadly, not a lot of people know this word, which is kind of a bummer for me, but commensality essentially means eating together. And eating together is often something that we do around the table, which is part of the idea behind this podcast. I'll let Stanley take over from
1: here. Claude Fischler, welcome to Around the Table. You are one of the legendary figures in the sociology of food and nutrition, and it's a great honor to have you here. And you have shaped the field. Could we begin by talking about how your interest in food began?
2: Well, thank you for the compliments. I'm impressed. (laughs) Um, Yes, um, I wanted to find a topic when I uh, decided I would try to... uh, Enter the national research agency CNRS. I had to propose a research project, a general topic, and some questions. And the general topic had to be, in my mind at the time, interdisciplinary, because I had I had become very much interested in issues that were. Um, interdisciplinary between um, social sciences uh, themselves uh, and um, some recent biological data and uh, uh, animal behavior ethology uh, the uh, sociology of uh, animal uh, social organization that sort of things and this is in the 70s and um, it seemed to me we were we were actually I was on doing some field work with a colleague I remember this in in Provence on another on research topic, and we start talking about this and uh, he says uh, uh, my colleague he says, uh, well, in terms of interdisciplinary topics uh, I could think only of two uh sex and food so I said, okay, sex uh, seems difficult to uh, study. I mean, I'm not sure. I feel uh, like Masters and Johnson, you know, the legendary American researchers who actually experimented themselves. But so I decided to look into food. And um, what I found was that uh, it was probably almost as difficult to study as sex, in the sense that it's very difficult. It was even more than, for lack of recent technology uh, it's very difficult anyway to know exactly what people eat because um, they tend to lie they tend to forget they tend to lie to themselves they tend to make trade-offs etc among other things and so that's uh, that's what I did I started uh, on uh, food at a time when uh, the social sciences didn't seem particularly interested. The, at least sociology in France. I was supposedly a sociologist. Um, of course, there was levi Strauss's work on the raw and the cooked. There was uh, Mary Douglas in England. and There were some people who were, uh, you know, uh, precursors. But um, it probably looked also trivial, Um sociologists were interested in big institutions the serious topics you know uh, family education uh work that sort of things but food you know it was i don't know it was like dishwashing or uh, it it was considered trivial there there are a few anecdotes about that uh, that uh i uh, encountered uh, from uh, distinguished senior colleagues.
1: It's not a trivial issue anymore, though, is it? There's so many people are concerned about food security into the future. Do you have any thoughts about that?
2: Well, food studies have become a general... I mean, there are food studies almost all, all over the uh, universities around the planet. And uh, that's that's the interesting thing. Uh, that has uh, occurred. On the other hand, the, the, the general view uh, on food is, well, we, we can discuss this. It's a, it's a, it's a, a big issue. It's, we're not looking at food the way uh, societies were looking at food uh, a few decades back. It's, um, it's one of the major issues, as a matter of fact. Food is basically, uh, obviously, a social issue. Uh, people on the on the face of the earth eat mostly in groups. It's a collective thing. And come to think of it, I mean, it was the, the British anthropologist, uh, Audrey Richards, that uh, uh, actually, I mean, it would be unfair not to mention her. Uh, in the 30s, she made the point, she was the one that took up food as a, as an interdisciplinary topic, the interdisciplinary topic, as a matter of fact, she said it was the most determinant dimension in human social grouping. And um, at the time already, there was a discussion about whether it was sex or food, and she she complained that uh, people were discussing at the time in anthropology, sex too much because of probably the emergent popularity of Freud in the, uh, in the uh, English-speaking world. And uh, she made the point that uh, before you can reproduce, you have to survive. And obviously, food is the major issue. But the second point, I thought, what really captured my interest um, increasingly as time uh, went by uh, the fact that sharing food is probably the biggest, the, the most important, the, 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 the primal uh, social issue, as it were, of course, because it's all, I mean, food is about collecting resources and allocating them. So I don't think there's anything that is much closer to the uh, uh, basis of social organization. Now. If food is that, that is the almost the essence of social organization, is it not striking that nowadays we tend to look at it as an individual issue, a matter of choice, a matter of appropriate choice, and something that you know has to do with us trying to being stimulated into trying to control, identify, master each and every molecule we are putting in our own body. It's as if it were um, exclusively a matter of individual decision.
1: You've written about commensality and this is, this is all about commensality, isn't it? Um, could, you, could you say a little bit more about your, your, your views on commensality and eating?
2: Commensality is a word that isn't very uh, common and popular, particularly in English. So it's basically mensa, the table in Latin, and cum together. So it's about sharing the table and the food on the table and the food when there is no table, because a number of cultures do not use tables for their meals. So um, what happens, for instance, around the table when people eat, As I said earlier, people tend to eat in groups. And what is mostly discussed nowadays is how people behave eating individually. So there's a sort of uh, dissolving of the uh, commensal dimension of food. And uh, at the same time, uh, it is still extremely important, probably more than ever, but in novel forms. So, um, if you think, for instance, of the influence of the shape of the table that you're eating that you're eating on, um, on what happens uh, among um, people eating at the table, commensals, uh, it's obvious that there's a difference between a round table and a rectangular table, a long table. okay, so when, in french we we have this this thing when someone sits in an informal uh meal in a restaurant, there's a a joke I've heard time and again. Okay, you're going to, if you sit at the tip of the table, you're told, uh, okay, you preside, you chair the meeting. So, um, on the other hand, in the representations, pictural representations of the last uh, meal of Christ, uh, Christ is sitting at the center of the table. The other side is conveniently uh, baird of uh, commensals, because otherwise it would be difficult for the painter to to show the uh, situation. But anyway, the place at the table symbolizes the hierarchical uh, distribution of uh, people around the table. People around the table are literally, in Latin, from the Latin word, word, participating, pars, capere in Latin, means to take your part, your uh, share. And it's interesting in, in in the sense to to look at the vocabulary, the words uh, in Latin, to describe what happens at a ceremonial meal associated with a sacrifice, the sacrifice of a of a, um, an animal. To be to be so no. Uh, Meat from a domesticated animal in Greece and later in Rome occurred without a religious sacrifice. And the people taking part in the meal where the meat was shared were exclusively the full-blown citizens of the Greek city. I mean, no women, no children, no slaves, obviously, no strangers, etc. Once you... uh, understand this, the names given to the various components of that uh, ritual are are really significant. For instance, if you take the word prince, it comes from princeps in Latin, and princeps is also formed on capere, and it's primus capere, so obviously princeps is the one that gets served first. well, all right, and and uh, people who do not belong, who are not accepted in the in the sacrificial uh, meal, are called privatus, private. That sort of thing. Um, in other words, commensality seals the bonds and and symbolizes the bonds between the people who take part. That is in the uh, ancient history of of, of the. Of the meal about commensality and do we have any um, traces of uh, of this uh, left today or is it just ancient roman or greek history of course not we do have things we we never realize for instance in the corporate world that if you work for a company you're actually working for people who if you look at the origin and the meaning of the word company companies that is people sharing bread. (laughs) So the 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 social significance of the shared meal are absolutely obvious. And as I said earlier, um, this is, of course, in the process of of constant change or evolution. And um, Obviously, people tend to eat more informally. Uh, They tend to have uh, um, less constraining uh, menus, for instance, in certain cultures, for instance, mine here in France. um, It is extremely extremely formal in a way that is a meal. First of all, people, if they don't have a seated meal, even for lunch, um, so a special place, a special time, meal mealtime, uh, participants and a certain composition and syntax of the meal do not consider it a meal. And consequently, they do not consider they have eaten. That is, if I eat a, a baguette sandwich standing at the counter of my local uh, cafe, it is likely that I will later go home and say, come on, let's have dinner, I didn't eat today. That is, we got that time and again in interviews that people were telling us that they hadn't eaten at lunchtime, they had eaten something on the go, and that wasn't eating. So it's very uh, constraining in this particular culture, or it's very formal, it's not that people um give up their freedom it's just that they are structured that way it's like a script uh that they um, uh, execute without even thinking about it it's just like speaking you speak and you you speak your 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 mother tongue and what you do is apply grammatical rules syntax and you do not you do not realize you're doing that well it it's a little like that for for eating And uh, of course, a contrast is the American situation in which my students who spend some time there come back reporting, even working on other issues, uh, come back and report that the one thing they cannot uh, grasp, come to grips with, is that people never seem to sit down together at the table. So they come in, they come go out, and they um, go to the fridge, and they help themselves and they nibble and they snack and uh, you can go anywhere at any time. There's always food uh, available uh, for some or not. And it's very, it's, and they consider it shocking.
1: Actually, I, I would like to, to ask you about about meal patterns and um, how things are changing in France and, and how this sort of, Difference between how the French eat and how the Americans eat does it persist to the present day? Or the or, British? Or the British?
2: Um, there's a, there's very consistent very interesting consistent robust data available about something some indicators about this um, this uh, degree of uh, formality is not exactly the 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 right word I would use in English I have to think maybe structuredness, okay, of the meal pattern, of the food pattern, the daily food pattern. Okay, so there are historical data. First, one thing is clear about France, for instance, is about I talked to my historian friends, and they confirmed to me that snacking or nibbling between meals is stigmatized in france and has been still since since the middle ages for religious reasons for all kinds of reasons but anyway and the french to this day snack or nibble less than anyone else in the western world and um, the other thing is meal times we have very good data about this because countries national statistical institutes run surveys on time use of individuals and families etc and what you find when you analyze the data is that on any given day, if it is 1230, this is a few years back, the last uh, survey was uh, uh, four, four years ago or something like that. But anyway, it's quite constant. Uh, if it's 1230, there, there's 54.1% of the French eating. Basically, if it's one, there's half the population eating. If you look at the similar data for Britain, the one time of the day when you have the most people eating at the same time is 1.10 PM, and the 17.6% of the population eating in this data. In other words, and and there's the the data about the French are very robust. I mean, the European uh, statistical data, all kinds of uh, the OECD, everything shows us that meal times are strictly um, applied. The the other thing is um, how long people spend eating every day, and now oh, this, this it's interesting because the the general trend over uh, time has been that. In almost all countries, people tend to spend less time preparing food. That's everywhere. It is in France as well. Uh, And people tend to spend less time eating overall. And that isn't true in France, or it is less true in France than anywhere else. And if you look at the the most recent data on time spent eating per day... You have a one-end, the Americans, uh, something like 50-something minutes, and the French, something like 90 minutes or two hours. I forget exactly, but it's a huge difference. So um, um, it's, it's paradoxical, come to think of it, that um, countries where people spend less time or less recorded time eating also seem to have, it's not, it's not a perfect correlation, it's not a linear correlation, but it's striking nevertheless with some of the most afflicted countries when it comes to obesity, that they spend less time. It's the case for US, Mexico, Canada, um, um, the English speaking countries in general, Australia, and I think New Zealand as well. Um, it's less true. For Northern Europeans who spend not too much, not too long eating, for instance, the Dutch um, do not seem to be very interested in food and eating, but they do not have obesity <laughs> and they're very tall. But I mean, there's this, this contrast between um, the, uh, yes, the time devoted to, to food explicitly. On the other hand, we have evidence that a lot of the eating goes unrecorded. When you look outside time meals, uh, meal times, I mean, you see. So that's the kind of question you can you can ask yourself when you're interested in these issues. Now, there is some very interesting research that seems to contradict this by De Castro, an American psychologist. And he has run studies asking people to uh, report how much they eat every time they eat uh, for a number, to keep diaries, as it, in other words. And it turns out that in his data, consistently, people eat more when they are in groups than when they are alone. And I find this absolutely fascinating. Because actually this comparing people eating alone and people eating in groups, I found out, is like comparing apples and pears. Because as I said, most eating occasions around the world are probably done in groups collectively. So what you have to compare is not so much eating alone Uh, as eating in groups of different contexts. Is it a family, ordinary family meal? Is it uh, some kind of a business occasion? Is it eating out um, at lunchtime for jobs with colleagues? Is it, uh, I don't know, a meal after uh, sports uh, with your uh, pals? Did you win? Did you lose? Does that make a difference? Of course, everything, every single... Of occasion makes a big difference, but what is most important is that if the meal is something that occurs in a culture where eating is uh, regulated, structured—I mean, regulated culturally speaking, structured—as I described earlier, um, it's very likely that nobody is going in the group is going to eat very much differently from everybody else. You're not going to make a pig of yourself if you eat uh, with your uh, uh, peers, uh, where uh, while eating alone is an entirely different story. First, if you eat alone at home, it's very different from eating in a public place. And we find that eating in public makes people, at least in certain cultures, more than others. But uh, almost everywhere, we look at people eating on the subway in uh, in New York. They're frequently seen, but. Uh, If you ask people around them if uh, they consider that behavior uh, normal or acceptable, it's generally not very popular. And when you watch people on public transportation, uh, for instance, in Paris, you almost never see people eating on the subway in Paris, but it's just beginning recently. Uh, And they tend to hide themselves. they tend to keep the food they are eating inside the, the brown paper and they look left and right. And um, it's not very uh, conspicuous, unless there's a group of people or a couple of people, which makes the the, the, the behavior again different. So basically, um, we find in, in um, observing uh, children in uh, cafeterias, in school cafeterias in France, that um, a child eating alone spends 11 or 12 minutes eating on the average. There aren't that many. There are very few, as a matter of fact. Uh, A 10-year-old, a group of 10 to 12-year-olds eating around the table. We have seated meals in uh, French cafeterias. I'm not sure about Britain. Um, They spend 22 minutes. So the, uh, the loner wants to be out of there. And he or she is not comfortable. It's not a happy occasion. And we also have data showing that across cultures, for instance, in France, Denmark, and the US, uh, it's consistent. People prefer eating with someone else than alone. Uh, no matter who the someone else is, even if you have lunch with your boss or someone you don't particularly appreciate, it's generally uh, reported as um, more pleasant than eating alone.
1: Claude Fischler, you're such good company as always. Thank you for being around the table today. I've learned so much from you.
2: Thank you very much Stanley.
0: Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess and Professor Stanley Ulyajak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.